prostitute lies to her king about harbouring spies, and she is celebrated as a pinnacle of faith. A boy stands up to a warrior and slays him against the odds. Threatened with a fiery death, the crowds bow to worship a statue, but three men stand their ground and are protected by angels. A young rabbi repeatedly outsmarts and embarrasses the insecure religious leaders to the point that they contradict themselves and plot his death. Twelve ordinary men start an unstoppable movement in the face of persistent religious and ethnic persecution. Christians have a funny relationship with authority. Read our book, the Bible. On the one hand, we're continually commanded to obey, but on the other hand, our most thrilling stories are when the hero fearlessly tells an authority figure where they can stick it. So when our government starts interfering with how we do things, as they are now, how do we respond? This isn't going to be a long message. I want to lay a brief theological framework so we can arrive at a scriptural starting point uh, for answering this question. And then we're going to do a bit of problem solving together uh, over the coming weeks. We need to start first by talking about our relationship with God. Before our relationship with other authority structures comes our relationship with God. Over and above all other authority structures is God himself. Our first allegiance is to him and everything else falls somewhere further down the list. But here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I think the Bible teaches us is the theological underpinning when it comes to obedience. We obey God passionately and unquestioningly. We, we are asked to give our passionate and unquestioning obedience to God. There's a few reasons, a few points I'm going to use to sum up here. First, God is king. God is God. God is father. So first, God is king. This is the most common metaphor for God in the Old Testament as king or ruler. Now, when you think about kings and monarchies, the point is that the ruler is supreme. If you don't obey them, you're in trouble. If you compete with them, it's treason and you're dead meat. It's a relationship with an unambiguous chain of command. If you're not the king, you're a servant and you do what the king says. Now, the portrayal of God as king is a bit warmer than that. Most significant is actually the fact that he is an all-powerful warrior who fights to protect his subjects. That's actually often what the fact that what the fact that God is king is meant to communicate to us, that he is our protector. There's a mutual service thing going on, but still, the king is king. You obey the king. Second, like I said, God is God. He's God. When your dishwasher stops working, you go back to the manufacturer's manual. In the universe, there is no higher authority than the one who manufactured the universe. Because God is God, we obey him unquestioningly. Now, to say that we don't question God isn't the same as saying that we're not inquisitive. I guess the heart of what I'm saying is that we should trust him. See, faith isn't just about salvation. Faith is also about obedience. And in fact, actually, in the day-to-day, faith is probably mainly about obedience. Because he is God, we should obey him without question because we trust him. 
And again, I'm not saying that we don't ask good questions or that we never search out the why of the things that God tells us. It is searching out God's heart and the glory that's hidden in his commands. Psalm 119 that we keep reading is so much a love song about God's good commands. Psalm 19 is kind of a snapshot, a shorter version. Psalm 19, let me read verses 7 to 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. And they are sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. See, the law of God is good. We obey because he's God, but we search out his reasons and his motives and his heart because in the, hidden there is his glory. There is something else in the fact that God is God. One thing we're taught about God is that he is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one. And one of the amazing things about the Trinity, as we call it, is that even within the three-in-oneness of the Lord, there appears to be authority and submission. Jesus talks repeatedly about the allegiance and obedience he owes his heavenly Father. This is a distinct feature of the Gospel of John. Heaps of times, Jesus goes on and on. He tells how he is sent by God. He is shown things by God. He says only what he is told to say by God, and he does everything he is told to do. Now, this is a great mystery. But if we see this dynamic of authority and submission, even within the unity of God himself, then there can't be anything inherently wrong or broken about belonging to an authority structure. Authority and submission is in the fabric of the universe. It is natural and it is even often good. So God is king, he is God, and God is father. If God is king is the main metaphor of the Old Testament, and it is, Jesus teaches us a new one in the New Testament when he claims that not only is God his father, but he is our father. We obey God not just because of who he is, his God, his king, but because of who he is to us. We obey God in the context of a mutually devoted relationship. And that's why I say we obey him passionately. We obey God with our own hearts. We go out of our way to obey because we love and are devoted to him. One of the things to remember about Jesus is that his was a happy life. He submitted to his father. He even submitted to death, but he did it with a whole soul devotion and joy that wouldn't have had it any other way. We need to follow Jesus' example of love to the point of pain and devotion, even to death. Because a life without passion is just uh, existence. It's just breathing. A life without passion isn't life. So we obey God unquestioningly because he is king and passionately because he's your father. But I need to add just one last thing to this string of points. All this is the ideal of our relationship with God, isn't it? There's nothing fallen or broken in this picture so far. But the reality is far from perfect, isn't it? See, there's bad news in all of this. God is still God. He is king and he is father. And yet we replace God with other gods. 
We expect our king to submit to us, and we often reject his love. Our obedience is often non-existent, and then even when it's there, it's often questioned and dissected to see what loopholes we can get away with, and it's generally more begrudging than it is passionate. And so there's one last thing to say about God. God is saviour. Jesus lived with all the passionate, unquestioning obedience that we've never been able to muster. He offers his perfect life in exchange for our imperfect ones. Jesus died the death of a treason, uh, of someone who committed treason, that same death that we all deserve for our disobedience to our King. And so, thankfully, although we owe God everything and he owes us nothing, he has given us his Son to save us. God is our Saviour. And it does occur to me that this really doesn't pull the rug from under our obedience as though there's now no longer any point because we're saved, we're off the hook anyway. But actually this truth that Christ is our saviour lights a fire under our hearts so that we're freed up even more so to obey with unquestioning trust and passionate devotion to God. Okay, so that's the theology that undergirds all this. That's how uh, we are told to obey God. But how does this feed back into obeying the authorities? obeying our government or our boss or your parents. Well, here's what our reading in Romans said. Chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. If we take this passage on its own, it's all pretty straightforward. We obey the authorities for many of the same reasons that we obey God, because they are from God after all. It's almost one and the same. Obey the law because the law is from God. But with so many stories of praiseworthy, God-honouring civil disobedience in the Bible, it's clearly not exactly one for one like that. Your boss isn't God. Our government isn't our father. And there is sin and corruption at every level of authority beneath God. And so what I said of God about obeying him passionately and unquestioningly, I'm going to tweak just a little bit when it comes to human authorities. I say we obey human authorities and we do it passionately, but we do it imaginatively. Let me explain. We absolutely should be asking, searching questions of our government authorities. We don't go in blind. Government policies have been known to be downright evil. And so when the state sanctions genocide, you hide Jews in the walls. And when the authorities try to censor the scriptures, you hand out Bibles. And when it becomes illegal to teach Christianity to your children, you go on teaching Christianity to your children and praying with them. And yet, at almost every other level, our duty remains to obey. And so when it comes to obeying the government, for example, we do so imaginatively, meaning we still go out of our way to obey. We search for ways to obey where we can. And we actually come from a pretty good heritage of this. 
Uh, when the Romans spread out across the world, this is one example, when the Romans spread out across the world, they ordered the pagans they conquered to worship and make sacrifices to the emperor. So when they took Jerusalem, they had the same set of rules. You will make sacrifices and worship the emperor as if he is God. And the Jews couldn't come at that. They refused. But they didn't just blatantly disobey. They brokered a deal. So they went on making sacrifices in their temple to the Lord their God, but they did so for the health of the emperor. Now that is using your imagination. I think that falls perfectly in line with what Paul says to uh, the Christians in Rome in chapter 13 of his letter to the Romans, to go on obeying and honouring the authorities where you can. So what about now for us? What about now, while it feels like the government is dictating so much of what used to be sacred? It is still our ongoing duty to seek to obey the government uh, and even to do it passionately. Do it in a way where we even go above and beyond, if that's appropriate. And passionate obedience may involve using our God-given imagination to see if it's not possible to appease both God and law which in most cases is very possible, even the same thing. And we try where we can to negotiate and influence our authorities so that we can broker a mutually satisfying way forward. But I do say this, and this is so important, where human authorities are involved, we certainly don't go in blind. We don't do this unquestioningly in the same way that we ought to obey God directly. We obey God without question but not man. We seek out the motives of the state. We need to trace forward the future implications of current policies and see where they might be leading us. We engage every, um, we look back to study history so we don't repeat mistakes that have already played out in the past. And we engage every little bit of our God-given intellect and we pray for wisdom and we imaginatively carve our way forward we do it with God's help and for his glory.